This radical movement makes space for people with mental health and other challenges to study and celebrate themselves. Satsuki Aya. In psychiatry, only experts make diagnoses. They do this by referring to detailed lists of criteria in technical guides, such as the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, now in its fifth edition, DSM-5, 2013. With this manual in hand, a psychiatrist can determine whether a person is experiencing trichotillomania, hair-pulling disorder, schizophrenia, antisocial personality disorder, autism spectrum disorder, narcolepsy, childhood onset fluency disorder, previously called stuttering, selective mutism, rumination disorder, or any of the myriad other disorders in the DSM-5. Being given one of these diagnoses can sometimes change a person's life for the better. It can validate their struggles and allow them to finally receive the professional support and medication they need to live a fulfilling life. But being diagnosed can have a dark side, too. It can take over a person's identity. A psychiatric diagnosis is not only descriptive, it's also prescriptive, it contains a narrative about what progress or recovery should look like. And, as this prescriptive narrative begins to dictate a person's sense of self, a diagnosis can intrude so deeply into their identity that it may be difficult to imagine an alternative way of being. In Japan, a radical approach called Tajishikenkyu has emerged to challenge the prescriptive narratives that dominate mainstream psychiatry. In Tajishikenkyu, which roughly translates as the science of the self or self-supported research, people with disabilities and or mental illness learn to study their own experiences. During the past few decades, this approach has grown from a grassroots movement created by people with schizophrenia and other mental illnesses in a small Hokkaido fishing town, to a revolutionary method for moving beyond psychiatry, a method that is being embraced across the strata of Japan's rapidly aging society. Sign up to our newsletter. Updates on everything new at Aeon. Daily. Weekly. See our newsletter privacy policy, here. The word tajisha is difficult to translate accurately into English. The term was originally used in law and politics where it referred to the parties, the tajisha, involved in litigation. Its definition expanded in the 1970s when it became a means of self-identification for people in discriminated groups, including women struggling against a patriarchal society, those with disabilities who had become outsiders, and those who did not conform to gender norms. People in these groups adopted the word because it is loaded with conflict and resistance, it's a name for those without power who are willing to organize and fight for their place in society and for a right to determine their own future. Tajisha is how many people who are struggling against discrimination have come to identify themselves in Japan. At the beginning of the 21st century, this term also began to be used by an invisible minority, those with schizophrenia and other psychiatric disorders. By identifying as Tajisha, members of this minority group sought a way beyond the dominance of medical models to escape the harm of diagnosis and the rigidity of prescriptive narratives that predefined the path of recovery. But, unlike many other groups of Tajisha who advocated for social change, for those experiencing mental illness, such as schizophrenia, advocating for a place in society is complicated. Their invisibility is twofold, they're not only sidelined from society, but their disorders are also mysterious to themselves and others. Instead of being passive patients, they could become active researchers of their own ailments. 
What really set the stage for Tajisha Kenkyu were two social movements started by those with disabilities. In the 1950s, a new disability movement was burgeoning in Japan, but it wasn't until the 1970s that those with physical disabilities, such as cerebral palsy, began to advocate for themselves more actively as Tajisha. For those in this movement, their disability is visible. They know where their discomfort comes from, why they are discriminated against, and in what ways they need society to change. Their movement had a clear sense of purpose, make society accommodate the needs of people with disabilities. Around the same time, during the 1970s, a second movement was started by those with mental health issues, such as addiction, particularly alcohol misuse, and schizophrenia. Their disabilities are not always visible. People in this second movement may not have always known they had a disability and, even after they identify their problems, they may remain uncertain about the nature of their disability. Unlike those with physical and visible disabilities, this second group of Tajisha were not always sure how to advocate for themselves as members of society. They didn't know what they wanted and needed from society. This knowing required new kinds of self-knowledge. As the story goes, Tajishikenku emerged in the Japanese fishing town of Yurikawa in southern Hokkaido in the early 2000s. It began in the 1980s when locals who had been diagnosed with psychiatric disorders created a peer support group in a rundown church, which was renamed Bethel House. The establishment of Bethel House, or just Bethel, was also aided by the maverick psychiatrist Toshiaki Kawamura and an innovative social worker named Ikuyoshi Mukiyachi. From the start, Bethel embodied the experimental spirit that followed the anti-psychiatry movement in Japan, which proposed ideas for how psychiatry might be done differently without relying only on diagnostic manuals and experts. But finding new methods was incredibly difficult and, in the early days of Bethel, both staff and members often struggled with a recurring problem, how is it possible to get beyond traditional psychiatric treatments when someone is still being tormented by their disabling symptoms? Tajisha Kenki was born directly out of a desperate search for answers. In the early 2000s, one of Bethel's members with schizophrenia was struggling to understand who he was and why he acted the way he did. This struggle had become urgent after he had set his own home on fire in a fit of anger. In the aftermath, he was overwhelmed and desperate. At his wit's end about how to help, Mukiyachi asked him if perhaps he wanted to Kenku to study or research himself so he could understand his problems and find a better way to cope with his illness. Apparently, the term Kenku had an immediate appeal and others at Bethel began to adopt it, too, especially those with serious mental health problems who were constantly urged to think about and apologize for who they were and how they behaved. Instead of being passive patients who felt they needed to keep their heads down and be ashamed for acting differently, they could now become active researchers of their own ailments. Tajisha Kenku allowed these people to deny labels such as victim, patient or minority, and to reclaim their agency. Tajisha Kenku is based on a simple idea. Humans have long shared their troubles so that others can empathize and offer wisdom about how to solve problems. Yet the experience of mental illness is often accompanied by an absence of collective sharing and problem-solving. Mental health issues are treated like shameful secrets that must be hidden, remain unspoken, and dealt with in private. This creates confused and lonely people who can only be saved by the top-down knowledge of expert psychiatrists. 
Tajisha Kenkyu simply encourages people to study their own problems and to investigate patterns and solutions in the writing and testimonies of fellow Tajisha. Self-reflection is at the heart of this practice. Tajisha Kenkyu incorporates various forms of reflection developed in clinical methods such as social skills training and cognitive behavioral therapy, but the reflections of a Tajisha don't begin and end at the individual. Instead, self-reflection is always shared, becoming a form of knowledge that can be communally reflected upon and improved. At Bethel House, members found it liberating that they could define themselves as producers of a new form of knowledge, just like the doctors and scientists who diagnosed and studied them in hospital wards. The experiential knowledge of Bethel members now forms the basis of an open and shared public domain of collective knowledge about mental health, one distributed through books, newspaper articles, documentaries and social media. The audience votes to decide who should win first prize for the most hilarious or moving account. There are two goals to Tajisha Kenkyu. First, developing and sharing knowledge about yourself, and second, advocating for a place in society. By sharing self-knowledge, those who feel pushed out of society can begin advocating for themselves, together. This is how Tajisha Kenkyu has become helpful for those who might not suffer from a clear case of mental illness but who nonetheless feel marginalized. It has even been adopted by those in the majority who seek ways to provide a safer and more comfortable environment for people with different abilities. At a time when citizen science was still a new idea, particularly in the rather closed realm of mental health care, Tajisha Kenkyu created a vibrant space for public engagement where those with mental illness did not have to be apprehensive or embarrassed to speak about their differences. Tajisha Kenkyu quickly caught on, making Bethel House a site of pilgrimage for those seeking alternatives to traditional psychiatry. Eventually, a cafe was opened, public lectures and events were held, and even merchandise, including t-shirts depicting members' hallucinations, was sold to help support the project. Bethel won further fame when their Hallucination and Delusion Grand Prix was aired on national television in Japan. At these events, people in Yurikawa are invited to listen and laugh alongside Bethel members who share stories of their hallucinations and delusions. Afterwards, the audience votes to decide who should win first prize for the most hilarious or moving account. One previous winner told a story about a failed journey into the mountains to ride a UFO and save the world, it failed because other Bethel members convinced him he needed a license to ride a UFO, which he didn't have. Another winner told a story about living in a public restroom at a train station for four days to respect the orders of an auditory hallucination. Tajisha Kenkyu received further interest in an outside Japan when the American anthropologist Karen Nakamura wrote A Disability of the Soul, an Ethnography of Schizophrenia and Mental Illness in Contemporary Japan, 2013, a detailed and moving account of life at Bethel House. Today, Tajisha Kenkyu has expanded far beyond Bethel or Yurikawa. Once seen as an unusual and radical technique for those experiencing schizophrenia and other psychiatric disorders, it has now become an approach available to anyone wanting to study themselves and society. In 2015, Tajisha Kenkyu found another home at the Research Center for Advanced Science and Technology, UCAST, at the University of Tokyo. The associate professor Shinichiro Kumagaya, a pediatrician who has cerebral palsy, and the associate professor Satsuki Aya, the co-author of this essay, who has written extensively on her experience of autism, are two researchers at the center's Tajisha Kenkyu lab together, 
they are introducing Tajisha Kenkyu to a wider audience of experts by drawing deeply on their own experiences with disability and mental health, as well as working alongside other scientists and Tajisha. When Kumagaya first began his clinical training at the University of Tokyo Hospital, he soon found that he struggled with the seemingly simple task of drawing blood. Because his hands are partially paralyzed, he found it extremely difficult to hold a hypodermic needle. He tried various techniques until he was able to reliably draw blood from his colleagues' arms. However, when it came to doing the same with babies, as worried parents looked on, his nerves would fail him, and he needed assistance. When he was later assigned to a busy hospital, Kumagaya assumed he would be useless and need constant help, but his supervisor deliberately put him in charge of drawing blood. Rather than obsessing over the correct procedure, Kumagaya was encouraged by hospital staff to focus on drawing blood using any technique that worked, so long as it didn't hurt the patient. Even Kumagaya's supervisor confessed that he'd made mistakes taking blood, too, which melted any remaining fears. Other staff were quick to adapt themselves to his differences, finding various ways to help. Kumagaya learned that nobody was perfect in a super-busy hospital, and staff were constantly finding ways to help and accommodate each other's weaknesses. Partial paralysis simply became one of many weaknesses, or eccentricities, among the team. Kumagaya has since drawn on this experience to further develop the methods of Tajisha Kenkyu by helping the Japanese government and those corporations required by Japanese law to hire a certain percentage of people with physical and mental disabilities. Tojishas are going beyond individual experiences to collaboratively generate scientific hypotheses. IEA's research at Recast has explored the history of Tajisha Kenkyu by interviewing the main actors involved in its creation. It has also drawn directly on her experience of autism to develop Tajisha Kenkyu as a research practice. Many of those with mental illness suffer from a profound sense of loneliness because their symptoms and their odd behavior can lead to tension and miscommunication, sometimes resulting in estrangement from others. What some Tojishas find frustrating is that they do not necessarily know what their exact problems are, and they may be accused of lacking self-knowledge. Aya often used to feel out of place. Her sense of self and body felt hijacked by other people's descriptions of her, words that she didn't always understand. Practicing Tajisha Kenkyu, she began to learn how she experienced the world differently and began to formulate hypotheses about why, for instance, she was constantly exhausted by sensory overload and extremely poor at sensing her own fatigue, which had led to sudden breakdowns in the past. Everyone's research is different, but in Aya's case, she drew on self-observation as well as published studies in experimental psychology, cognitive science and philosophy to formulate hypotheses about her breakdowns, analyzing their underlying mechanism and finding the exact words that explained her experiences. She now presents her hypotheses about autism in Tajisha groups to test how generalizable her findings are. In this way, Tojishas are developing self-understanding and learning to describe themselves in their own words, but also going beyond individual experiences to collaboratively generate scientific hypotheses about their experiences. At the University of Tokyo, Aya and Kumagaya have generated a systematic approach to develop these hypotheses. This involves three directions of ongoing research, practicing Tajisha Kenkyu, validating hypotheses born out of Tajisha Kenkyu, and investigating the effect and efficacy of Tajisha Kenkyu. Part of their work has involved collaborating with communities of people with autism, those experiencing addiction, and children with special needs or learning difficulties. 
they have also worked with an Olympic athlete and a former astronaut to explore their sense of marginality and the stress of performing in highly competitive and meritocratic communities. To test hypotheses that have emerged from individual experiences, Aya and Kumagaya have also collaborated with scientists and other experts to test whether findings might be generalizable to other people with disabilities. As a result, Tajisha Kenkyu is now in the early stages of being implemented by corporations, universities and hospitals as a means of identifying problems and fostering diversity within workplaces. In 2011, the Japanese government established a commission on policy for persons with disabilities involving a range of experts who make policy recommendations to ensure Japan is acting in accordance with the United Nations Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. These experts include social workers, academics, those with disabilities, and even an expert in Tajisha Kenkyu, a role that is currently taken by Komagaya. Tajisha Kenkyu is a tool not just for an individual to cope with their problems, but a way of ensuring that society learns to acknowledge and face these problems, too. What makes this approach so appealing? Perhaps it can be explained through a principle Kumagaya learned from the Italian psychiatrist, researcher and Tajisha Kenkyu supporter Roberto Mezina, self-discovery, through self-supported research, is a process of recovery. It is a means of recovery because it allows a person to discover meanings and mechanisms in what may otherwise be a chaotic experience. Though Tajisha Kenkyu began far outside the domain of traditional scientific research, it now seems to have become a form of citizen science, one that takes research out of the laboratory and university and places it in the hands of those who are neither psychiatrists nor health experts. One thing that distinguishes Tajisha Kenkyu from other forms of citizen science is its unique definition of research. In the past, citizen science projects on public health involved patients who learned the language and craft of science to actively collaborate with medical experts in search of a cure. An example of this is the collaborative networks that formed during the 1980s and 90s between people affected by AIDS and the scientists studying it. Citizen science has also developed in mental health care, where user-controlled research has significantly impacted health policies. While these historical cases have radically reshaped the idea of science and the ownership of its knowledge, the fact that such research may require an engagement with complicated scientific research and expertise could hinder some citizens from becoming more involved. Tajisha Kenkyu, on the other hand, takes an almost guerrilla-like approach, research is a patchwork of individual experiences and whatever is found useful from science. The traditional literature review in scientific articles, where knowledge about a field or debate is compared, is replaced with the act of listening to and comparing the testimonies of Tajisha. This can also become a form of feedback like the peer review process. What is particularly important about this dynamic is that groups of Tajisha can kenku together to examine how problems arise from their specific disabilities, their own eccentricities or quirkiness, or from a specific environment. By finding patterns in causal factors, Tajisha can make more informed plans about what should be done. They do not have the ultimate answer and speak from multiple positions of being patient, peer and staff member. This approach to research has increasing relevance in corporate Japan, where the number of workers with depression and or developmental disorders is increasing. The government and corporations are seeking ways to go beyond the traditional machismo that still exists in many Japanese companies and to cultivate a new work culture where it is okay to show and share one's vulnerabilities. 
Katoko Kita is a Tajish researcher hired by the University of Tokyo through Kumagaya and Aiya's lab, who is diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and attention deficit slash hyperactivity disorder. For Kita, Tajisha Kenkyu has become a way to investigate the nature of her disability in the workplace. It's helped her understand why she has changed jobs more than 30 times, an anomaly in Japan where the idea of lifetime employment still prevails. In her research, she compared companies to see which ones were difficult to work in, those with a culture of machismo and perfectionism, and which were disability-friendly, those with a culture of accepting and sharing each other's vulnerabilities. Through Tajisha Kenkyu, Kida, Kumagaya and Aya have been able to begin designing the workplaces of the future. Inspired by this work, Kyoto Kasai, the chair of neuropsychiatry at the University of Tokyo, has implemented a system of peer support workers at the university hospital with the aim of decreasing the stigma of mental illness. He has helped hire four such workers, who are psychiatric patients themselves. Unlike psychiatric professionals who tend to speak from a position of knowledge and certainty, peer support workers instead operate as facilitators who do not have the ultimate answer and who speak from multiple positions of being patient, peer and staff member. Partly because of their uncertainty, they may be able to listen and empathize more easily with patients while also easing tensions and power imbalances inherent in doctor-patient relationships. Their roles have thus been compared with frontline peace workers in medical settings. But they also find it difficult at times to speak from different perspectives when they are surrounded by medical professionals. While the exact roles and the strengths of peer support workers are still being debated at the University of Tokyo Hospital, many see this as a step towards creating a democratic and open space within medicine that can change psychiatry from within. In Japan's rapidly aging society, where many people live beyond their 80s, disability is no longer someone else's business. It impacts everyone. Dementia is a particularly salient example because it looms so large in Japan's aging future. By 2025, around 7 million people are expected to be afflicted. One of Japan's best-selling books of 2022 was a guidebook to dementia titled Ninshisho Sekai no Arukikata, How to Walk the World of Dementia, which was modeled on a Japanese version of the Lonely Planet series called How to Walk the World. The guide reads like an old-fashioned anthropological textbook, describing the exotic world of those living in the land of dementia. The book shares the narratives of natives, describing and explaining why they do the strange things that they do, such as forgetting, not being able to count money and or charge a train card, and sometimes just wandering around aimlessly. Dementia is a great case study of how Tajisha Kenkyu might shape Japan's future. At memory clinics for people with dementia where the anthropologist Junko Kudanaka, the co-author of this essay, has conducted fieldwork, Tajisha are not only invited as experts who can evaluate the quality of doctors' interactions with patients but also as peer consultants. The faces of Tajisha and patients light up when they discover that they share commonalities. During her research with people who have Lewy body dementia, Kitanaka observed Tajisha and patients sharing similar horrifying experiences, such as hallucinating a curtain rail covered in snakes or seeing a ghost-like small child in a dark room. These experiences may have been horrifying, but the conversations that follow are full of laughter, fostering a sense of solidarity, similar to the solidarity seen during Bethel's hallucination contests. It's a vision in which those affected by physical and mental differences have a meaningful place in the future. Through Tajisha Kenkyu, people without dementia can imagine not just how to live with those who are afflicted, but also what it is like to be in the mind of someone with a mental disorder.
This is also allowing people with ailments to empathize with each other beyond the usual disease categories and across spectrums. Today, people with dementia, depression, schizophrenia, higher brain dysfunctions and developmental disorders are beginning to share their experiences of control, not being able to manage the excess of their emotions or feeling that their body is in discord with their mind. They might talk about cognitive changes in metaphorical terms, saying that they feel like an old and dysfunctional computer that can open only one window, to run only one application at a time. They may also talk about sensory experiences, such as how the world feels faded, completely devoid of color, and as if they are moving in slow motion. Many emphasize how lowered levels of working memory make them want to limit any excess information invading their brain and how, in response, they sometimes cannot help but close their eyes, shut their ears, and crouch down in panic. By working with doctors who are interested in recapturing the symptomatology of mental disorders, these tajisha are helping reshape psychiatry itself. They are creating a common foundation from which to understand the phenomenology of psychosis and the difficulties of living differently. Importantly, a database built from this new language is now being used by experts in electronics, city planning and community building to help create new and empathetic forms of universal design that accommodate the worlds of Tajisha and those who are neurobiologically different. It may seem that Tajisha Kenkyu has traveled so far from Bethel House that it has little to do with its origins in Urukawa and little to do with the methods used by the man who wanted to understand why he set fire to his house. But all forms of Tajisha Kenkyu share fundamental qualities, a communal and open understanding of ailments, and an optimistic view that society can become more inclusive. Tajisha Kenkyu offers a hopeful vision of coexisting worlds. It's a vision in which those affected by physical and mental differences have a meaningful place in the future. Imagine what would happen if experts stopped only defining and diagnosing patients and instead taught people to study themselves. Note, this research has been funded by Kakenhi JP21H05174 and JP21H05175.